on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Right now with the corporations, we're at a stage where we're seeing and saying, okay, you know what? We can actually go even further with what we do. We can actually create an impact where we can change the systems and, and work with governments, with you know non-governmental organizations, internal governmental organizations, and we can actually resolve these rooted problems in societies, we can create, you know, the, the problems causing poverty. All this goes back to, again, sustainable development goals. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moments of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The Alt-Normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness, realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift and how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise.
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So I am really excited to welcome our guest today, Pareel Yassar. But maybe Pareel, do you want to just say your full name for us so listeners know? Sure. Pareel Kadubeshe Yashar. So Pareel was born in the beautiful coastal region of Turkey in Izmir, and she studied in the U.S. in the height of 9-11. Pareel has worked in the field of sustainability for almost 15 years, and throughout her career, she was lucky to work and meet with some amazing people like Nobel Prize winner Professor Mohamed Yunus. Born and raised in a developing country, Turkey, her experience has been rooted in key local and societal issues such as girls' schooling problems, homeless youth, um, emerging out of poverty, domestic violence, and many more to now leading global strategic programs. As a keen believer of women's empowerment, Piriel is the co-founder of Turkish International Women Network, the Germany chapter. And her journey within Allianz started back in Turkey in 2014, where she formed and headed the sustainability office and was tasked to initiate the very first strategic sustainability approach. Under her direction, Allianz Turkey was the very first insurance company in the country to report under the Global Reporting Initiative, commit to the UN Global Compact, sign the Women Empowerment Principles, sign the Integrated Reporting Initiative, and kick off nationwide CSR campaign in schools. And in 2017, she joined the Global Corporate Responsibility Team to manage the Social Inclusion Pillar. Now in her role, Pureel is working to accelerate societal impact for Allianz internationally. Woo! What a pleasure to have you with us today, Pureel. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. So exciting. There, there's so much in there that I want to get to, um, but I want to start us off by kind of grounding in this sort of cultural moment. So I know that you really live and breathe um, this world of CSR. And before this podcast, you sent me this amazing timeline of the evolution of this movement. And I kind of picked into one of your references and I wanted to sort of start there in this slice of the CSR evolution. So it was in 2016 um, at Con Lions that the UN Secretary General uh, Ban Ki-moon declared these words, quote, We are the first generation that can end global poverty. We are the last generation that can address climate change before it is too late, end quote. And he stressed that none of of the SDGs or sustainable development goals can be achieved by anyone alone. So for anyone who's just not familiar, the, the 2030 agenda for the UN contains 17 SDG goals. Um, And it's sort of the biggest anti-poverty pro-planet action plan that the UN has ever adopted, which is really cool and very historic. And in the same like article, uh, Mr. Bond asked everyone in attendance to help make sure that SDGs are the business of all businesses. 
So kind of with that stage set, you know, we're like five years later from that event and that really historic speech. And, you know, kind of from where you sit and from your passion, what is your read on this current moment? Are businesses, brands, corporate worlds making these sustainable development goals a priority? Kind of like, where are we right now in general, in your opinion? I think that's a very good uh, start to uh, hit the conversation. You know, like I think, um, you know, going back to 2016 with Ban Ki-moon, you know, this was, you know, in light of right after UN launched the UN uh, the Sustainable Development Goals. And they knew that they needed to really increase the impact. And to increase the impact, they actually went to one of the largest ad, you know, you know, conferences in in Khan. And this was very surprising to many people because, you know, like, okay, so what's the communication has to do with it? It has to do everything about it because, you know, communication is how, you know, brands and corporations win our hearts and minds, right? So it's it's true that, you know, um, campaigning that we find ourselves to be, uh, in love with Marx, which is called the love Marx, right? And this was really important milestone in corporations really embracing a, a, a purposeful uh, communication, so to say. So this was the, the start of it, the, the language of it. And the more we spoke, the more we understood the importance of SDGs and how, you know, like uh, we cannot really separate social environment from business, you know, like impact is impact. We're everywhere. And I think, you know, COVID being the, you know, phenomenon of our thing, Entry, it, it really brought back that, you know, what is the purpose of corporations? Why do I even work in this company at the first place? You know, me being an accountant, does it really make a difference in my society or in my community? And this went back and said, okay, you know what, you know, this has been on the agenda for so long, you know, we really need to go back and then remember what the UN SDGs were. So I think the corporations now in, an, in a conundrum and they're like, okay, we, we can't go like this anymore. And I think one of the, uh, the proofs of this is that World Economic Forum, you know, like they actually went and said that, you know, uh, there is a new capitalism now, it's called stakeholder capitalism. Corporates are now actually looking and saying, yes, we can't just keep the shareholder interest. We really need to go back and then look our stakeholders instead. Because you know what? We're not just responsible for the money that we produce. We're responsible for all these people that we are affecting in this community, in this operation, you know, in this world. So uh, I do believe there is one thing that's an up for COVID is this awareness, realization, actualization in business to say, this can't go like this anymore. Beautiful. Denial no more. <laughs> no more. So I love I love that kickoff. And we're going to go a lot deeper into stakeholder capitalism and this whole evolution in a bit. But before, I kind of wanted to take a little detour into a personal question. You know, just broadly and specifically, whichever way you want to take it, what kind of major life events or experience is inspired you to kind of choose this line of work that you're in as a sustainability manager um, at Allianz, but also um, I can see it's very much something that you embody and like you really live out, not just professionally, but also personally. And I know that you took a sabbatical to test a new way of life out where you ran a bed and breakfast with your mom for over a year. And in your words, quote, 
hated every moment away from corporate white collar life, end quote. I love that. And you were just talking about corporations and like, you know, this whole moment that we're in and you couldn't stay away after you, you just couldn't wait to get back. So, I mean, I kind of gave you a nugget there, but maybe how did that shape your journey and just any other experiences that you can pull from? I mean, I think I'm one of those people who sees the the good and the best in the corporations and being cynical about it. And I see such a power in corporations that could actually change uh, the, the the way that we live today and tomorrow. I think in my lifetime, I actually, um, you know, growing up in a developing country, I had seen some really rooted societal problems. And I had seen in the corporations that I work with or through the programs that we developed together, how this can actually change one's life. I mean, literally, you know, like you're you're sitting at this desk, you know, and then you're creating this document, the concept, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to help girls, you know, schooling. And this is just a white paper in front of you as a Word document. And then you put all these things. You're in this, you know, like a, like a building surrounded by these white walls and you're this in this very comforting world. But then if, if you went out and then start seeing the impact you're actually creating in one's life, you know, there is this girl who felt no chance in life. She was even considering maybe suicide because, you know, she was so trapped in this world. There was no way she was able to get education. Their parents were, you know, like really limiting her. She might actually be married by the age of 12. And with a program you created in this corporation, with the power given you, with the money, the resources, you are actually able to change her life. She might become the next, you know, top leader, CEO of a company, just because at that moment you were right beside her. So to me, the corporations had all the power to change the system. And I think, you know, like maybe we can go in depth about this. You know, I really love Ashoka Foundation. It's no, you know, a, a secret that I'm a big admirer of them. You know, back in 1980s when Bill Drayton, you know, like founded this foundation, he looked at the socially driven entrepreneurs and saw that you know, they can actually change the system, you know, not just, you know, like helping the, you know, uh, homeless people on the streets, but they can actually resolve the problem around homelessness. So like looking back now, you know, like right now with the corporations, we're at a stage where we're seeing and saying, okay, you know what, we can actually go even further with what we do. We can actually create an impact where we can change the systems. Uh, and, and work with governments, with, you know, uh, uh, non-governmental organizations, internal governmental organizations, and we can actually resolve these rooted problems in societies. We can create, you know, the, the problems causing poverty. So all this goes back to, again, sustainable development goals. This is, you know, giving us guidance. And then the systemic change thinking is actually um, uh, helping us to really go in depth and, you know, actually resolve once and all. And corporations with its power, with its expertise, with its mindset, with its strategic connections, a scale, we all have that power. And I think this is what makes me really passionate about keep working at these large corporations. Yeah, I, I I really liked what you said about when you expand the aperture of awareness beyond the four office walls and you actually come into contact with someone who is very different from you, who is part of an underrepresented community, is like worlds away from your world. Even a small moment like that can really shift the way that you think about society, corporations, uh, social change, social justice, all of these 
concepts that I think the world's grappling with right now and can no longer be in denial about anymore. So, you know, we can come back to Ashoka Foundation because I'd like to learn more about that. But for now, I would love to kind of go back to this stakeholder capitalism. So you had mentioned that, um, you know, the World Economic Forum really kind of made this declaration, I think back in 2019, that stakeholder capitalism, which is where, you know, all stakeholders are factored into decision-making, everything from customers to suppliers to employees, local communities, and of course, shareholders, was officially on the rise, contrary to what you showed, which was um, shareholder capitalism, right? Where it's all about profit and meeting bottom lines. And so, you know, I would love for you to be a tour guide (laughs) for us about this movement because there's like a lot of concepts. And we had a woman named Carol Cohn on the show a few episodes back who talked about the purpose movement. And I feel like there's a lot of words like CSR, sustainability, stakeholder capitalism. So how can you kind of help us make sense of all these words and how they fit together in kind of the evolution that this bigger movement has taken um, since it's been around for, I don't know, since the 70s, maybe even earlier, but you can be our tour guide perhaps. I think all all roads goes to Rome, so nothing is you know different than one another. It's been it's been a long journey, right? So even before seventies, you know, of, um, it's in academia or in in society, it's always been discussed that you know, like we now after the industrial revolution, we have all these companies, you know, like these um, firms, uh, you know, doing production, you know, doing all this work, but they were they were just you know looking more and more about you know just producing things about the outcomes. They were never really concerned about the human rights aspect or, you know, this, um, how they were impacting the environment. None of these questions were there. And when, before the 70s, when these, you know, like were really emerging, you know, and, and the question was around what is the responsibility of the company and who they are responsible to. Actually, I think all my, um, you know, peers in this industry would uh, agree that we have a milestone with Milton Friedman and a very big, big setback when he said the only you know, uh, responsibility of a business is to its shareholders by producing profit. And this 1970s statement with him really is as a result of how we are you know, still struggling with sustainability today, because it, he, is a, he was a very well-respected you know, guy in the economics. And then people just felt that you know, if he's saying this, then you know, we can actually, you know, forget about the rest, and then we just need to focus on profits. Even though this was the case, there was an undeniable, you know, surface around giving back. So corporates still felt the need to to give back. So the philanthropy kind of like evolved around it. So there was, you know, like even after that, you know, companies kept saying that, okay, yes, we're earning this much money, but there was, there should be a way us giving back. But this giving back was more about how CEO was feeling passionate about it. So we call this philanthropic world. As the corporation you know, took this stage and the civil society really started questioning more and more. There were the environmental, you know, uh, aspects came a bit, you know, higher. And there was much more, you know, like in research over there. Uh, so we had we had started seeing the, the environmental challenge and the policies and so. And this question actually then started the discussion around ESG, which is environment social governance, and then these principles. And then there is this wording called corporate social responsibility, 
which in essence actually the same thing, but the corporations or the society understood more about a bit more of a structured giving back because it's called corporate social responsibility. And then we felt that, okay, the ESG and corporate social responsibility didn't really cover the overall aspect. So we called it sustainability. So we just put a bigger umbrella, which all three actually at the end means the very same thing. How are we as a company, as a person, are treating the continuity of our resources in environment, social and governance? Are we being fair, equal? Are we being respectful to all? And how we are actually maintaining the, the continuity of these resources for the next generations. Overall, everything is the same. But how we evolved, you know, from 1970s to today, it needed, you know, all this to be like reshaped. And then when we talk about purpose, this is about actually today, all of this questioning, you know, like our responsibility to why we exist today. It's because, you know, we want to put purpose to profits. That's why, you know, because we really want to, as a white collar worker today at an office, we really want to see more and more companies do good for society by how we, you know, like generate our, you know, efforts and hours in this world. So that's why the purpose has been, especially with COVID, now you're more and more, you know, questioning why you work, you know, with all this pressure. And so, so you, you feel more and more like in questioning the, the corporate that you work for and ask, what is the purpose I'm working for you? You know, why, what are you at the end, you know, producing that you're going to justify that what I do is actually good for everyone. And you're not really a, like, in a, um, a destructive, you know, a company. So that's the, that's the thing. And then stakeholder capitalism is just like, an, it's actually been, again, been on the agenda since 1970s by Klaus Schwab. So it's not an old concept. But because of this, you know, of, um, setback we had with Friedman, it took, you know, like almost 40, 50 years to rediscuss this. And finally, he he uh, he went out with this manifesto and um, and uh, uh, really um, some key companies, you know, like signed off this manifesto and said, you know, like, yes, we just can't really look into, you know, shareholders because, you know, we have a responsibility to our employees. We have a responsibility to our, you know, um, uh, suppliers. We have a responsibility for, you know, um, uh, the, the people that, you know, um, our products and services has an impact to. So this really is more about, you know, thinking in in chains, you know, in, in how we really have this butterfly effect as a corporate. Yeah, thank you for touring us on this movement of sustainability. And you, like you said, all roads lead to Rome. And, you know, on the show, we love to explore kind of what's the old story that's dying out or irrelevant or outdated. Um, thank you for teaching us what you taught us, but goodbye. And what is the new story emerging, even if it's not fully formed? So in this realm of sustainability, which is the world that you sit in, uh, what do you feel like is that new story emerging? Yeah, and 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 any kind of examples that you can shed on how you've seen this word evolve, especially during the pandemic with COVID and racial injustice and all of these other big worldwide movements. There is this concept called shared value. It's not a new concept. It's been there for like since 2006, uh, Michael Porter uh, is the father of this concept. And this concept says that, you know, like as a business, 
you know, all these things were really sitting on different ends with, you know, like philanthropy, we just give back. With business, we just do our products and services. With, you know, policymaking, we all need it for, you know, lobbying for our own product. And what shared value says is that, you know, you really need to create a corporate system where everything is really creating a value chain for your stakeholders. So you can't just look at it as a giving back. You really need to deep dive, think about, you know, how your products and services are affecting your customer or, a, you know, underserved customer groups. How is that, you know, your community is helping, you know, into that. And can you, you know, actually... Uh, create an, uh, your products and services and your giving back in a way that you know, it spills over to create social value. So, uh, you know, and, and this goes back to the systems thinking, right? So you really need to, as a company, understand how you are creating uh, a disruption in the system or a value creation in the system and how you can then design your overall journey in a way that it actually, you know, it complements to one another. So can you build this um, a program where your, you know, a product is giving, you know, a serving to a specific customer group? And, you know, within that, you're actually helping with your CSR campaign to increase literacy around it. And your, you know, employee volunteering program is actually, you know, on, on the site, helping the people um, uh, and and you know from, uh, supporting the, their daily life needs. So it's everything needs to be in this integrated you know uh, um, thinking. Um, so today we see more and more of businesses really looking into the shared value understanding and seeing you know like um, uh, in a more integrated way. It's in thinking it more you know in in one house in one apartment rather than keeping these you know all separated. Yeah, I I like that color you bring to it. And I'm, you know, in going back and revisiting those SDGs, those sustainable development goals, I'm curious, um, you know, how, how do you, but how can someone else in an organization, like, align with an SDG? Is it better to align with, like, one or two and really get buy-in from the whole company and, like, do training so that all departments are working together, kind of like you mentioned, or, you know, what, what, what have you found has been the most sustainable way to make sustainability operationalized from the inside out? You can speak from the point of view of Allianz or just any, any of your experiences, but what is the most sustainable way to make sustainability sustainable? (laughs) Does that make sense? Excellent question. Excellent question. Because when we start speaking about these as experts, people are super overwhelmed because they're like, how am I going to solve the world problem? Right. And then, you know, this is, you know, a lot of companies don't know where to start. Um, So there is a common practice in sustainability called materiality exercise. So what you do is actually you map out your the most important stakeholders for you. So you do a desktop exercise. You can do this with, you know, your company or with some of your uh, um, consultants and experts. And then you just map out. You can see, say that, you know, this customer group is super important for me, my employees. You know, if you have like in uh, uh, sub sub you know supplier groups, uh, some experts, NGOs, uh, maybe journalists, media experts, and then you map out at them. And then you bring a list of, 
issues, right? So you can pick these out from right off the, the SDG, you know, exercises, targets, or you can do a pre-scanning of what people are asking you, what you're doing. And then you start, you know, like in doing an, uh, a survey with the uh, stakeholder group and say, you know, you know me, you know my business. What do you think is the most material issues for me to take onto my agenda? So this is where you start. You, you actually do a stakeholder engagement. Sustainability is about stakeholder, it's stakeholder engagement. It's about having this multi-relationship you know, management. And, and with that, you start you know, collecting feedback. You start understanding. That's not the, the end. This is the beginning. Because now you start understanding where your stakeholder sees you uh, that you can actually start creating an impact because of your business, right? So for like, we're an insurance company, we're an investment company, you know, our stakeholders say you can actually bring insurance to the underinsured. So the emerging consumers business that we have around the world, you know, it's a super important part to it. And, and sometimes it's really surprising too, because, you know, if you really select your group objectively, you start receiving something that you don't actually hear from your regular market research. So from, so you start seeing that for some of the maybe suppliers and groups, and you see that you're always buying from the same people and they're all male. And whereas, you know, like you want to, you know, create more diversity in it. So you start, you know, like supplying more from women. So you, you start seeing this, you know, like a pattern around. And then what you need to do is that you need to put that materiality results next to your business strategy. And you want to compare. Because what you don't want to do is you want to create something like a sustainability strategy where your business is going somewhere else. So what you want to do is that you actually want to integrate into two. So it actually can create shared value. So you want to say, okay, this is as a business where I want to go. This is where my stakeholders see. This is what is material to me. How do I merge them? Where do I see opportunities? Where do I see threats? Where do I see some red flags? Because sustainability is also about managing risks, risks about the future, right? So about your business. So this is start. You start looking into it, and then you start doing a bit more of a like a deeper interviews, right, with your you know preferred stakeholders, experts. You really start seeing, and you start you know. Uh, experimenting some ideas, right? So they, you, you start putting some examples. What if I did this? What if I did that? And then you start, uh, you come to a point where you are feeling that, okay, this is what I need to do. So this is, the, the, the stakeholder materiality exercise is the most common. And to be honest, this is the easiest way to do. If you really, really want to go deep, you can do a systems mapping. There are some consultants who does that. So what they do is they map out your company uh, impact, and then they start to show that how your company's steps are impacting environment, society, stakeholders. There is a huge math. There is a book called uh, Thinking in Systems. You can skip the math to, to really understand this. But what it shows that, you know, like when you, you know, make a step or action as a business, you know, what your action is actually causing to the whole community. And can you really open or close those tabs? And there is this example about um, uh, homelessness in, in Seattle, for example. And many of the major these IT companies have been you know, complaining about homelessness. And then uh, they were trying to give some charity work. And they, when they started doing the, the systems mapping, they actually realized that they are the cause of the problem. Because when they started with these uh, companies you know, coming back to Seattle and making 
talent coming all over the world to this town, they started increasing the rent. And then this the rent, you know, increases. It caused a lot of people by their landlords to be pushed out because they wanted to be renting out these apartments to a higher, you know, paying uh, rents. So then they realized, oh, my God, for years we have been trying to just, you know, hand out money to, you know, to soup kitchens and so. But then, you know what, we can actually end this problem because we are causing the problem. So this is the thing that this, you know, like when when a company starts looking into, you know, how they're impacting their communities, these things usually don't surface. But if you really look deep and, you know, not every company is willing to do that, but if you look deep you actually find things that you can resolve once and all so you know if, uh, so it also depends you know of course you know if, if a company is like global office or local it has that you know scale and balance to it but i think you know it can be your corner bookstore to your you know global fmcg company i think everyone can do these exercises and then create the shared value. Thanks for helping us peek under the hood. Um, that was a really great, yeah, just overview of what it actually looks like when you want to actually see, is there a gap between our intent and the actual impact that we're having on stakeholders? And one of my questions, and I'm, I'm really curious is, I mean, I'm sure every company has their own realizations with this. And like you said, it's probably not easy to do because it's the harder path because maybe you see things you don't want to see and don't have resources to deal with. But what do you think is the biggest barrier to companies and brands bridging intent with impact? I, I think that's, again, a very good question. I think this is the problem of today. You know, where management still thinks that business is business and giving back is giving back, right? So uh, so they still think that, you know, like we have our business, this is where we're going to focus. You know, we sell these things, we market these things. It has nothing to do with society. It has nothing to do with the environment. You know, sustainability, CSR is another topic. And, and then, you know, you do what you do separate from the business. So I think still this conversation being really separate is the problem with intention and impact, right? Because you're not really investing in where you can actually create an impact. So if, um, so you you can be uh, um, an FMCG company and we see these, you know, they go for, you know, cause marketing campaigns. So if you buy this, you know, Pampers, you know, uh, we will donate one euro to UNICEF. That's nice. You know, like you're doing something. But what are you doing with your product that actually would, you know, help the consumers, you know, the the, um, uh, the people in need, right? How your consumers actually can do that. So, like, can you, like, giving back is giving back, but, you know, how does your product really can help? And Danone is, is a great example to it, you know, like, very unfortunate events with his, you know, CEO departing, um, uh, you know, last week uh, because of um, uh, investor pressure. But, you know, like he has really, you know, excelled in, in how a large global company can become social business. And they have um, uh, tons of examples of it, you know, where Danone in India and Mohammed Yunus gives his uh, example, um, you know, almost in his uh, old keynote speeches and his book. You know, they actually, uh, when they were investing in India, they founded the factory 
based on where they can actually create more impact to the communities. Um, so they, they landed that factory in that community for the reason, not because it's, you know, uh, the, the most efficient way to do production, not only, let's say, but also the closeness of the communities it can actually have to. And once it established, it connected with the, the people in those communities to create an, a business around them where, you know, the women were able to buy the products for a very low cost sell again very low cost but also have products to feed their own kids because this was a huge issue in the community so you see you know like you, when you look at it from a very different perspective and glasses you actually get a very different result if you were only focused on profit efficiency and then you know your end result is more about you know your shareholder you know, uh, satisfaction then you wouldn't created this story from the very beginning. So this is the thing, you know, like we really need this balance. Um, and then, you know, we really need to understand that, you know, profit is not the, the sole responsibility of a company. You really need to take the stakeholder approach. Um, but believe it or not, you know, like the stakeholder capitalism, again, you know, like we were talking and then again and again, a lot of, you know, investors or shareholders, you know, repeating the same Milton story. And they, they're saying, yeah, but you know what? It's still businesses, you know, responsibility to, to produce profits. So this story hasn't died yet. You know, we are switching, transforming, but unfortunately it just didn't die yesterday. You know, it's interesting. I don't have the exact stat, but I remember sometime in the spring of 2020, I read this article that showed how B Corps companies, certified companies like outperformed non-B core on, on some metrics that showed success. Like, ah, if you actually take care of people, you will generally, you know, have a good sales or you will, you will generate profit. You will, you will perform successfully. I don't know like how current that is or what the story is like now with numbers, but it seems like if all the evidence is out there to show that it's the right thing to do, you know, I, I pulled some other you know, some, some other stats to ground this, you know, it's not news to hear that, you know, people are willing to pay a premium for a product created sustainably or something like 76% of 18 to 34 year olds like when the CEOs of companies um, speak out on issues they care about, take actual stances and, you know, really go for it. So, you know, if all this evidence is showing that um, stakeholder capitalism is actually profitable, you know, it's, I think it's just natural to sit with the question of, well, if it's, if it's profitable, then, you know, why isn't everyone doing it? <laughs> I, I have my own, I have my own opinion about this very own opinion. And then, you know, uh, it's because it's not profitable just for the shareholders, it's profitable for the whole stakeholder. So you're actually dividing the pie into different slices, right? So instead of giving one big chunk to one group, you're saying that mm -mm, the whole pie doesn't belong to you anymore. You, like this needs to be divided in different halves now. So th this whole notion of, you know, giving up from the profits, and this is something that I keep, you know, questioning myself, you know, how much is too much, you know, like when a company is profiting, you know, like trillions of dollars, you know, how do you, how do you set the bar and say, you know, you are profiting too much because nobody says this thing, right? So, because if you're profiting that much, I'm quite sure you are actually, I'm not going to say still, but, you know, 
you are actually, you know, compromising from somewhere, you know, like you can't just have this much money to all to yourself or to your shareholders only. So I think that's the, the problem. The, the thing is that the world, the communities are evolving, right? So like, as you said, you know, you're seeing more and more young, you know, generation coming up and as an, as a talent, as a consumer, but it is not moving that fast. I think crowdfunding had a huge impact because it's really changed, you know, who owns the money to invest in these companies, uh, to small businesses, and then, you know, the, their power of reach with the internet. So there's, you know, like you see more and more sustainable brands around it. There has been also a few key events like the Rana Plaza, you know, when, you know, this uh, factory in Bang- uh, Bangladesh collapsed. And then a lot of young people realize where their clothes are coming and in which conditions being produced. So it kind of like, you know, opens the eyes of the next generation. Greta, you know, like it, she has been an, a great influence, but she's not the only one. In 1992, in Rio Summit, we had, you know, another young girl like herself, you know, said the very similar things, but her impact, you know, it's been, you know, almost 30 years now. It, it's, you know, you know, and you can watch her video over and over again. It's not that different from Greta. So you see that, you know, like the, the corporations has been really resisting to this change because it's a whole new world. And, you know, the, the shareholders who controls the power is very reluctant, even though, you know, at COVID times, we had seen more and more articles about how the funds, the investment has performed well better for companies investing in ESG. Um, but I also read a, in a very recent article in US, they did an, a research about uh, board members and their expertise in an environment. And it was less than 3%, if I remember that correctly. So in, in these companies who manages these large corporations, there is also lack of knowledge around sustainability. Or, you know, like the the, 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 the um, terminology or the, the know-how around it. So it really needs to go up, right? So like, because bottom, bottom up, you can only do a little, but you really need to, from that top company, you know, with a vision, really manage this. And we see this with CEO activism, like with Salesforce, with Richard Branson, we had seen with Paul Pullman. So, uh, so you see that, you know, um, with some uh, CEO activism. To round out the stakeholder capitalism conversation that can probably just keep on going for as long as humans are alive, but in from where you sit, which stakeholder groups do you feel are the most underrepresented by that right now? Like they could, employees, employees. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Employees, because you know we actually uh, there has been a lot of you know of, um, uh, in. They, they say that, you know, like when we talk about stakeholder groups, the most representative was the customers, right? So we always go back to customer, we go to the investors, we even go to suppliers, but employees are usually the most underrepresented. But you know what? If you don't have talent in a company, you're nothing. And then employees can actually have the power to change the core of the company. You can, you can, if you start questioning as an employee, have your companies investing its money or its, you know, relationship with with certain, you know, um, uh, projects that's, you know, uh, that's going against environmental principles, and so you can actually create a movement within that. We had seen this with Google. You know, Google. I think two years ago. Um, uh, they were part of the Me Too movement. They, you know, a lot of, you know, um, uh, employees, uh, they get it and then they 
they actually protested globally, Google and said, you're like shrugging these under the carpet uh, about the, the sexual harassment cases and so, and we're not happy with it. So like employees are the most silent ones right now because of job security issues and so, but actually on contrary, I think, you know, employees also have the power as an, because when you're employed, you're also consumer to other companies. So you also have this, you know, circular understanding of you can actually change within the company with your power of buying um, and, and how you can actually uh, eventually, you know, impact the whole system overall. Um, it's Salesforce had, you know, the, he, Mark has been really keen on employee. He calls Ohana the family. Uh, and so, and they have been really value driven, um, uh, you know, a company from the very start. And during COVID, uh, he he's also someone who embraced stakeholder capitalism from the you know core to the end. And he said, you know what, I I want my employees keep paying to their hairdressers, their dog walkers, because you know if I cut you, then you're gonna cut them, and then the whole system will go around this. So that's the thing, you know, like you you have to think about the circularity within your employee group, which is your probably your you know like the core and core of your stakeholder group. Nice. I love it. So we're kind of moving in this direction now, this envisioning, right? Looking into the future, 2021, this upcoming decade. What are you excited to see in sustainability this year? Like what would be your dream to to sort of envision sustainability at Allianz or just in, you know, the brands that you shop or just in corporate culture in general? What would be kind of a breakthrough edge that a corporation can lean into? I mean, I think at IDNs, we are really looking into the systemic change, especially with carbon, uh, the carbonization of the um, 2050, the world that in the future that we're living in. And I'm, and I'm hoping this is going to impact more and more investments because where the money is, that it, that's the changes. That's the unfortunate world that we're living in. But, you know, it's been uh, trillions of, you know, euros being, you know, pulled into this vision uh, led by UN um, and and uh, chaired by Ideans. And we're seeing that, you know, when you put your, you know, uh, had an, an enthusiasm and network in it, that's actually possible, you know, for, you can see that. And I'm and, and I really want, you know, in different aspects of sustainability, we see this collaboration more and more. We see more transparency. I think that's the most important thing. We are not seeing a transparent world at the moment. I'm hoping like uh, technologies like blockchain will bring more, you know, more and more, especially I think it's going to be a huge impact in human rights um, going forward. Um, and uh, and also having more bold and honest conversations. I think you know, this is also, um, you know, sometimes kindness uh, gets over the, the truth and honesty within it. So I, I really want more honest and bold conversations because we are running time, right? You see that, you know, the, I just, you know, the, uh, you know, posted this on LinkedIn. Uh, the, the top billionaires list has just been um, published. And in COVID, you know, in 2020, the top billionaires of the world gained $1.8 trillion as a plus into their wealth. While when we look at the, you know, the world uh, hunger population, you know, there is around 700 to 1 billion people uh, every night going hungry into their beds. And you can actually, once and all, end poverty in the world 
for $330 billion. So even Jeff Bezos can do that by his own, I think, you know, if, he, if it's, you know, like a couple of years into his wealth. Uh, this is something I really appreciate with Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and their foundation. I really find their work inspiring. I was more skeptical when he was a corporate person, but shifting into the foundation, I find their work very inspiring and um, uh, and, and very, you know, genuine. Um, so, but this is, this is, you know, like, let's talk about, you know, uh, wealth, the, the wealth distribution, taxation, where the monies are going, you know, like, this is this is incredible. You know, where is the, the priority? We need more, you know, bold conversations around these things. And you touched on leadership and leaders that you admire and you yourself are a leader in an organization. And I would love to hear again, personal curiosity, um, how you stay grounded in kind of your stewardship of sustainability as a leader. Like what do you, are there any practices you do or are there any like rituals that you lead with your teams? Is there anything that you do to kind of advance the, these conversations a little bit every day, over the weeks, over the months, like any leadership guidance that you could share <laughs> that you play with these days? You're, you're, you're very kind that you, you named me with all these people. Um, I'm not, I'm not that kind of, um, uh, the senior in these things, but I do, you know, like in a, in a world that's so, I'm going to say so bad, you know, like, because, you know, again, coming from a developing country, you can't run away from the, the reality of the world. So the, um, you know, the, since the, the beginning of this, you know, year, even in you know, um, tens of women, uh, was, um, killed in Turkey because of domestic violence, you know, and then you see these, you know, the, overall the world you know and then you because of my job you know i keep being you know exposed to the, the realities of you know of, uh even in mature markets you know like um people in, in poverty the, in, the refugee issue you know like you see people as a last thing on a boat to uh to an uncertainty they don't even know if they're going to make it or not so like the the world in itself even though it's getting better so if you look at statistically Right. It's statistically it's getting better. But in a world that where your job is actually to be exposed to the reality of these roles in society and then on a human base. So in environment, you can have an escape, I think, in a way that about trees and, and you know, biodiversity. But we are talking about feel human in here. I really cherish even the smallest achievement. So if, they, if somebody tells me how they have had an impact for a kid uh, in the corner, you know, like a school district. Uh, by mentoring them for an hour for the last, you know, month or so, I even cherish that. I even cherish that, you know, the smallest achievement of all, because you know, you change one person's, you know, uh, life or or you know, impact them. You don't even know who they will become in future. So that's that's super super important. That's something I learned. And then I always look for this inspiration. So I kind of like look through and see, you know, um, what is out there that could keep inspiring me. Um, so who, that's my, that's my drive. So I try to, you know, like find these things and I, and I try to spread this conversation, you know, like, like us doing today. So I, I never say no. I always try to, you know, talk to people individual or in groups and, and, and keep passing along this message because, you know, when you, when you are an expert in sustainability, people think that they need to become in this position to create impact. And I'm like, that's not true. You can do it by yourself. You know, it, it is irrelevant, you know, if you're sitting in a sustainability team or not. As an accountant, as a financial, you know, advisor, you can actually create 
uh, you know, a change. You know, you can actually either by a governance issue or helping an NGO, an non-governmental organization with their books, you can actually help them. They can't buy this, you know, uh, kind of service. And this would actually might change their, you know, course of time because the less things that these things, uh, you know, um, occupy them, the more that they actually focus on doing good for their part. So I always challenge people to to look at these things. Um, and I do avoid watching any drama uh, in my life because, you know, like I don't I don't watch any movies with drama or something like that. I only watch comedy um, because that's my that's my escape. Well-deserved escape. I mean, gosh, if you're exposed to real issues um, by being in the field or by being a sustainability manager or whatever else, I mean, uh, we're human and we all have limitations. So I think it's very good to take care of yourself so that you can show up and be a better leader at work, be a better leader in your family, community, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so as we close out this conversation, I always like to have our guests just leave our listeners with a message. I mean, you've said so many wonderful things, but just a final message or a question that we can all reflect on beyond this conversation around anything that we've talked about today that feels most present, most alive, most passionate for you. I think we need to look at sustainability as part of our lives, right? So like every day from the morning that you wake up till you you, uh, fall asleep, I think you really need to take a better look into how you spend your time and how you spend your money and how you spend your work life, right? I think we need to really start questioning the status quo. You know, starting from why even we have, you know, five days a work week, to, you know, why do I wear a tie? To, you know, why do I shop from this store? To why do I eat this vegetable? So you, when you start questioning and you just start looking into, you know, you don't need to change immediately, but just being aware, right? So just just so you aware, there is this a very great initiative called Fashion Revolution, where you can follow and see, you know, they're questioning where your clothes come from, from which workshop, how the women are treated, what, how much they're actually earning. And once you start learning that, you know, the, the jeans that you paid are actually being paid to a woman in uh, in Thailand for, you know, for, or Taiwan for like, um, uh, you know, $3 per month, your world starts changing into it. So it's more about really understanding, you know, how you can, as a person, as an individual, are capable of changing this world. I think the more people are aware and taking action, the faster we're going to see change in the world. I think this is what is missing. We still haven't realized our power to change the world. We can do this. We're collectively, how many billion people in this world? We can do this. So this is this is super, super important. As Ban Ki-moon said, we can't do it alone. And I love what you said about just questioning everything in the status quo. And it kind of just speaks to this whole conversation because sustainability really is like, How long can we keep this earth going? How long can we keep our lives thriving and healthy and happy for ourselves, but for community and for planet? Like there really is no separation. So sustainability can go as far as we want it to go. But as you said, we are sort of trained in this society to think that power exists outside of ourselves and institutions, government, you know, systems, and it can feel overwhelming uh, if we can't, you know, single-handedly change that thing. But actually it's about looking inside of ourselves and asking what is it that I can do 
today? What is it that I can do in a week or a month, year, whatever, right? And we're constantly evolving. So, so much (laughs) that we can do. It is so much. Don't be overwhelmed. Day by day, item by item, you know, task by task, we can get to where we want. I think we're in a very good path. So there is no pessimism um, about it. You know, um, uh, we're going to keep that good spirit up high. You know, we are going better and better every day. Um, And as you just very well summarized, I think, you know, it's about, you know, keeping the power within and then, you know, really showing that um, enthusiasm to the external world too, right? We can do this. We have that power. Such a positive note to end on, Pyrrhal. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for being here with us. And I know that you said that you love to share with individuals, groups. If people listening want to f- continue to follow you or connect or just see what you're up to, is there any way that people can find you? You can share whatever you want. Um, and we can always include things. The best way is LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. And then I kind of use that as my, you know, blog. You know, I, I keep uh, my thoughts around, you know, the, what I think with the, the recent developments and everything there. Uh, we have a good engagement there also. Um, and shouting out to all the Turkish women uh, out there as an expert. We have the Turkish Women International Network. So if you want to join us, we'd be more than happy. It's an, a good sisterhood supporting, I think, among them, all women will change the world eventually. Ooh, goosebumps all over my body. <laughs> yes, I am happy if you'd like to share a link to that network. I'm happy to include that in the show notes and just, yeah, help radiate that sisterhood. Always down for that. <laughs> Great. So thank you, Piero. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you very much. I think I really enjoyed it. And I, I really, you know, have uh, been pumped up with this conversation. And, and I really uh, thank you for the um, uh, for this. Beautiful. For all of our listeners, if you feel uplifted, shifted, very excited and curious, uh, please help us spread the word, spread this episode, leave us a review, give us your feedback. Thank you for your presence. And we will see you next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.